Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and I'm right here 17 floors above Madison Square Garden in New York City. And shots have been fired. Don't move! Don't move, don't move, don't move! That's right, in D.C., just a little while ago, we got a report that somebody was shot in the chest. This follows the shots that were fired in Portland and the shots that were fired that fatally struck Officer Tenacious Bohannon, known as Bo. Not even four years on the job, he was a cop struck in the head by a bad guy's bullet. And now, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser, she knows all about what's going on with Black Lives Matter Because now their friends in the Sunrise Movement, who we've talked about right here on this show, they're outside of her house, demanding the resignation of Police Chief Newsham. Now, Newsham is the chief of the Metropolitan Police Department in Washington, D.C., where Muriel Bowser's mayor. If you don't remember, she had the floor painted not far from the White House to say defund the police in a place newly designated as Black Lives Matter Plaza. One of the things that I like to point out on this program is how quickly the radical left will turn on themselves because they don't really stand for anything. All they're about is destruction. That's all they care about. They want to break the system and they will do anything to burn the system down, in particular using the system to destroy the system. This is why they chant things like, Death to America. No, I'm not talking about the Iranians. I'm talking about the Antifa people. This loosely organized thing where you meet one another and they have secret meetings in the back rooms of different types of businesses. They recruit from the progressive movement. Trust me, they're not recruiting Antifa at Trump rallies. Not because I said so, the evidence just doesn't support it. But yes, trust and believe that when they show up to these rallies, these quote-unquote peaceful protests, they peacefully and pacifistically bring hammers with them, guns with them, as we saw with the Trump guy that was shot in Portland from the Patriot Prayer Group. It's open season. He was wearing a hat, a black hat with an American flag on it that said Patriot Prayer a very popular group in Portland, popular amongst those that are Christian conservative and not popular amongst those that are fascistic Antifa types, which is oxymoronic. They're supposed to be anti-fascist, but they see the police as fascists. 
So they want to defund the police and they use violence to bring about peace. Now, that can work in certain situations of war. I think the United States use violence to bring about peace in our revolution. But this isn't the same thing. They want to destroy the system. We were trying to create a system, a new system built on liberty, built on virtue, one where they envision future generations embracing godliness so that this system would work, this constitutional republic system, not a pure democracy. It was an experiment from the beginning. And man, I think we're doing pretty good up until now where we're really taking a lot of heat. Now, the United States has seen pressure before, and I think we're going to survive. But it's so important that people know what's going on. Stalin was famous for calling for the control of information. This is why we have Russian state television like we do now, RT, RT RT.com, Russia Today, Russian propaganda. I'd say 75% the Putin agenda and 25% sprinkled and peppered in with a little bit of news. They tell you what they want you to hear. Now, that's open. And it's from the Russian government. In America, we're supposed to have a free press where you could say what you want. And that's happening right now. They're saying what they want, but they don't base it on any type of objective fact. And that is part of the problem. With this D.C. shooting, the 18-year-old Mr. K, the individual that was shot by the Metro PD, by a brown officer, by the way, had a gun in his hand and they just released the body cam footage, seized the cops starts to raise his hand that has the firearm in it. There's no waiting to see what's happening. They open fire. Gun goes flying. It's all on tape. If somebody wants to sit there and defend them, oh, he was only 18. He was going to give him the gun. He was throwing it away. What is homeboy doing with the gun to begin with? Come on. You can have a gun on your hip, but nobody's saying you can walk around holding it especially in a high crime area like the projects, people need to exercise common sense. I can't say it enough. Don't do something that's going to get you shot by the police. Now, speaking of the police, it always sucks when a cop gets hurt on the job or killed on the job. And it's no different for this officer, Tamaris Bohannon. I think I mispronounced his name earlier. Tamaris Bohannon, St. Louis Police Department. Earlier today, I shared an article from Franklin Graham who was talking about this murder of this officer on CBN. And a friend of mine out in the Midwest commented that he knew Bohannon's wife, they were friends, and knew their family, and that their heart was broken. His heart was broken. My buddy Dre Hilton, big shout out to Dre, and very accomplished artist, by the way, great community activist as well. And it brings everything to life, that this is a real guy with a real wife, he's a real human, just like everybody else that's killed. But the difference was he's not a criminal. He's not out there looking to be killed, but he's in a line of work that can get him killed. But at no fault of his own does he go looking to get shot. Like so many of these people that think they can raise a gun to a cop. You can't do that. That's how it works. Then we have the BLM movement, the Marxist movement, Antifa, these people saying, oh, then we need to defund the police. Better training, better this. All right, that's great. I'm always about training. Training's fantastic. But disarming the police? No, come on. Now, you want to demilitarize them and take away some of their SWAT capabilities or re, uh, reallocate it and decide it's going to go to a county sheriff or have a specific unit that handles those things like many departments do, whether it's ESU like here in New York or the actual SWAT team or counterterrorism, different things, different places have different needs. I get it. 
And I already went on my rant about how I think cops should be more in the community. Police chiefs need to take a more active approach on that. I do agree with that. And hopefully we can try and deter. Now, maybe I'm speaking from a position of total ignorance. That's a possibility. I mean, I know there's a, a real disdain for police when they roll up in the projects. Nobody likes them. Sometimes they throw things at them. I've even heard of them getting shot at. But I think when the job gets tough doesn't mean we give up on the job. It means we figure out a better way and we try harder. I believe in humanity. And I think you do too. Some people are lost causes. And this has nothing to do with race. I'm just talking about people in general. People that are faced with poverty make poor decisions. People that don't have much education to inform their decisions, they make very bad choices. And this is why I'm all about education. But along with education, you need prudence. And if somebody brings uh, a firearm, raising it in their, in their right hand, and you're uh, the other receiving end of that bullet, don't wait. Don't wait till you hear the gun go off. That's not how it works. You say don't move, they move, it's over. Swiss cheese. You fire until the threat is gone. Somebody's 18-year-old child is killed by the police because they pointed a gun at the police and it's caught on body cam in Washington, D.C. It's terrible that somebody's dead. But it's got to be a lesson learned to all of us that this is not how we have to live our lives. This is not how we can raise our children. Anyway, that was another rant, unplanned. I want to talk about death to America, death to America, and not the Iranians, but a bunch of white people accompanied by some black people that believe in the Black Lives Matter movement, which, you know, God bless them, good for them. The other day I was talking to somebody and they told me, oh, I went to this, um, I took a vacation and I was at a lake and there was a retreat going on for a group and it was a Black Lives Matter group. He says, but they weren't the ones from TV. They were just a bunch of nice black families that were together being extremely nice. And this person was a white person. And he said they went up to him and they were super polite and said, good afternoon, sir. How are you? And they were just super nice. And they weren't about violence. They weren't about looting. They weren't about rioting. They were the people that are getting hijacked by the Marxists taking over their movement. There's nothing wrong with a bunch of black people getting together saying, hey, you know what? We believe that our lives matter too. Our lives matter as well. And we're going to make noise so that people can bring attention to the issue that we need less death. And if they want to focus on African-American death, great. I agree that we should have less death. I would love it if the cops wouldn't have to shoot people like this kid, Mr. K. Less death sounds good to me. Hopefully less death equals less crime and a better society for everybody. But you've got these people that are chanting death to America, death to America. And this is following the shooting of a Trump supporter. And it makes you think, what are we dealing with? When somebody's literally not just talking about let's take apart the police and let's do this and let's do that. No, no, no. Now it's death to America. Crazy stuff, right? Unbelievable. And I know that's not all white people. It's not all black people that feel that way. Not everybody says death to America. I never even heard it personally. Other than the video I saw coming out of Portland. But there are people out there. Somebody sent me a video of an African-American man saying, you know what? Stop hijacking this BLM movement. Stop doing all this craziness because we're going to start something that we can't finish. And he, not in those words. But basically, he was saying these thugs that are out there looting and rioting and going after people's property and then these super left wing progressive activists that are out there going to politicians homes in the middle of the night like the Sunrise Movement and others and just telling random people in the D.C. suburbs, hey, you're in our house. You got to get out of our house. You owe us this for reparations. Those people 
are going to get themselves hurt. Now, two episodes ago, I, I played you the audio of one group that was traveling in a caravan of cars, leaving Kenosha, Wisconsin, going to D.C., probably make some trouble over there. And while they pulled over across the street uh, from a residential area, those neighbors came out, told them to leave. They didn't leave, and they shot them. I'm not defending the neighbors. You don't shoot people that don't shoot back at you or shoot at you first, at least not where I come from. But my point is, there's always a rule on the street. Don't start none, and there won't be none. Listen to this. Hat tip, world star hip-hop. And my guy, Captain Mauser in Florida. I remember telling you people when white people get fed up, they go fight back. And when they fight back, it won't be pretty. You don't want to call them racist and want to call them every name under God's green earth. That kid in Kenosha is just the start. They're going to get fed up. And when they get fed up, they outnumber you. Do not forget that it was people like this that stood up to the British. And they had an army. And these were just villagers who were fed up. You can only push the American people around so much, BLM. I would not like to be you in a couple of months if you keep this crap up. Ooh, it's going to be bad. You think a blown bicep with a bullet is bad. You think one person shot in the stomach is bad. You think losing your cap is bad. Wait until every last one of you gets put down. I'm just going to sit on the sidelines with my popcorn and watch. I might join in, but I will definitely be watching. <clears throat> I might even put on let the bodies hit the floor because this is going to be good. We tried to warn you. Do not push the American around. True patriots will stand up. And when they stand up, you go down. The British learned the hard way, and I guess y'all stubborn morons need to learn the same way. You step on the wrong porch with this, raise your fist for BLM. Oh, he gonna raise something. He will be raising something to you. Yes, sounds like pew pew. And you'll be getting more than a few few. We're at a point in time in our history where, yeah, it always gets a little hectic before elections, but this is way different. I haven't seen it, at least in my lifetime, and I'm relatively young. So, okay, no problem. We can look back historically. But in modern history, we haven't seen it this contentious ever. So we need to get it right. And we've got to figure out how is it that this, this stuff is happening? How is that? I think it's coming at us from so many different angles. We've got the left redefining things. Redefining what journalism is, redefining what neighborhoods are, redefining what church is. And I want to get into that on the other side of this break. Keep it locked right there. I'm Rich Valdez. You're listening to This Is America. This is America. In times like these, it's so important that we focus on the facts. I always tell you to focus on the facts. I think you hear that everywhere you go, and that's because facts are irrefutable. It's the bottom line. It's the real deal. And in times like this of uncertainty, we need to rely on the facts. I get my facts from JustFacts.com. That's F-A-C-T-S, JustFacts.com. Go to JustFacts.com and sign up for their newsletter. JustFacts.com forward slash rich. Just put my name in there and you'll get it for free. JustFacts.com slash rich. This is America. All right, America. 
America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, right here, 17 floors above Madison Square Garden. Somebody called me El Conservador the other day on, uh, I think it was an email that I got, and I thought that was pretty cool. So yeah, Rich Valdez, El Conservador, and we are right here. Get at me on Twitter, at Rich Valdez, or follow me on Parler or Instagram. I'd love to hear your feedback when you listen to the show, and, and I just want to see what you're doing as well, at Rich Valdez with an S. And I want to talk about redefining, the redefinition of words, the hijacking of our language. What I find that's interesting is that people have new definitions for things. Not too long ago, I was talking to somebody who works in the legal field, and I made a joke and said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm the racist one now. And this person responded to me and said, no, 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 silly, you're not the racist one. You can't be racist. And I said, why not? And they said, because you're brown. I said, so because my parents are born in Puerto Rico, I'm an American of Puerto Rican heritage, I can't be racist. And she said, exactly, because you've never been white. I said, so racism can only exist if you're white. And she said, of course. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Why? Because I thought racism was the prejudice against a particular race, hating somebody because of the color of their skin, because of their ethnicity, background, race, etc. And apparently I was wrong. Because you can only be a racist if you're white. You have to have the power structure on your side. It's kind of like sexual harassment. This is how it was explained to me. And I thought, wow, this is news to me. My whole life, I've never been a racist, but I've always defined racism as somebody disliking the other person because of their race and doing things to them or whatever. You can stop them from getting jobs, stop them from moving into your neighborhood, whatever that is, or just plain old dislike them. But it was never something where a certain bunch of people were disqualified from being that. Like, there's even anti-Semitic Jews. While it's oxymoronic, it's a thing. So I think that definition, this new definition that the left has created because they've taken over academia, where they say that there must be some sort of power structure, it's only been redefined so that they can talk about white privilege. Basically saying that because you're white, you have some inherent privilege. Now, I've talked about this before, but I'll talk about it again briefly. My personal take on that is if you're white and your dad owned a home and the dad before him owned a home and great grandpa owned a home, you have some generational wealth. It's not because you're white. It's because white people started this country and they were here first. I think that's pretty simple. My dad, my father, came to the Bronx in 1955. Before 1955, all my roots are in Puerto Rico. That makes sense. My mom also came here after 1955, but was born in Puerto Rico. Her parents, her dad born in Puerto Rico, my grandma born in Panama. How about that? If you look at it that way, whatever wealth they created was there. Now they could bring it with them, but my point is there is no established history or legacy in my family before 1955. So if you're one of these people who I happen to meet plenty of, who tell me, oh, my family, I, I had a great, 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 great grandfather that was on the Mayflower. Well, good for you. I didn't. My great, 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 greats were Spanish conquistadors taking over Cuba and Puerto Rico from the Indians. Sorry, guilty as charged. My point is, I don't know them, and I didn't do that. What I leave for my children now is the legacy that I have now, that I'm building now. So this quote-unquote white privilege because white people were here first, I think is stupid. And the best evidence is you look at migration. Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. 
Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. Not immigration, just migration. Puerto Ricans, Mexicans were the first ones because obviously California was once a part of Mexico and it's right next to Texas. And, you know, we can get into the history of that later. But this is why you have Mexicans that are American living in those parts of the country. And they've been there for generations. But a New Yorican is a relatively new thing. There wasn't an a onslaught of Puerto Ricans migrating from the mainland to the Bronx in the 1800s because Puerto Rico wasn't part of our deal until after the Spanish-American War. So as they came and became bodegueros and everything else they did, my dad worked in a cardboard factory. He worked as a doorman in Tudor City. More people came in the 1940s, 1950s. They served in the military. And then enters a new ethnicity, Cubans. And you've got Cubans that come that are trying to flee because of policy. And they're given asylum as refugees. That makes sense, too. So now you have Cubans. So that's why you have two, sometimes three generations now of Cubans that became business owners, built some wealth, left it to their children, sent their kids to college, did things differently. Then Dominicans, then Mexicans and other uh, Central American, South Americans, Colombians in recent history. A lot of Colombians coming in now business owners. Just look at Queens. Look at Bergen Line Avenue, Hudson County, New Jersey. So many of the old Cuban businesses have been replaced by Colombian businesses and Mexican businesses. And a lot of the Cubans have moved to Florida. And this is my point that there's no argument to be made to say, oh, you've got Cuban privilege. Oh, you've got Puerto Rican privilege. Oh, you got Dominican privilege because the last two generations of Dominicans that came here have built this wealth. So you have Dominican privilege. That's not a thing. They worked hard. They earned money. They bought a home. They started a business. And now they're doing their thing. They started a barbershop. They started a bodega. And now they're here. Well, El Gringo, the white man, did the same thing just six, seven, ten generations ago. So this whole myth of white privilege is BS. Plus, on one episode that I did where I read from Marxist.org, that was really mind-blowing. They've come up with this idea of white privilege as another wedge issue to get people to feel guilty. That's the whole key, just like they used the homosexual uh, agenda as a wedge issue. I remember 15 years ago, by most polls, most surveys, whatever you want to call it, 1% of the population identified as homosexual. Okay, maybe there were plenty of people in the closet because it wasn't societally acceptable. It wasn't a, a societal norm. Got it. What we have today is a redefinition of terminology. Totally redefined. Now there's misgendering. There's, we've replaced sex with gender. Because now it doesn't really matter what's between your legs. It's just about what you think in your head, how you identify yourself. I would love to believe that. Because if that's true, if I can just identify myself as a billionaire, I am a billionaire. I'm also six foot two. And I have an incredibly awesome head of hair. It doesn't work that way. That's just not how it goes. Plus, I've got a six pack. Get it? I think you do. This redefinition, this redefining of our language and words has gotten us into so many problems. Mark Levin wrote a great book on freedom of the press where he talks about, amongst other things, many things, how the media has become so biased 
because of this redefinition, the redefinition of journalism. Once was something where people could hold elected officials accountable and be a watchdog for the people. The fourth estate, if you will, is the uh, fourth unofficial branch of the government because they, in effect, are we the people. How awesome is that, that we had citizens who were journalists who could hold the government accountable? But no, what's gone from fact-finding, the gathering of, of facts, the dissemination of that information based on objective truth, even if you're holding somebody's feet to the fire, multiple sources, sources that are cited, journalistic integrity, so much of that has fallen by the wayside. Now opinions abound. They're everywhere, not on shows like mine, which is clearly a commentary show, an opinion show, a talk show where we talk about issues of the day, but in what you expect to be real news. And this is how they were taught in college, because again, the left had a plan, just like Stalin taught them. Take over the dissemination of information, so you take over the university. You take over the classroom at every level. Now you control the information that's going out to the students. The students will then become the professionals that disseminate that information elsewhere. Takes a couple of generations, but look, they've done well. We now have journalists that feel that their job is to be a warrior for social justice, to be the expositor of truth above their role of reporting the facts. If that's truly the standard, then all of these wacko conspiracy people that are on the right that people have ridiculed for years, then they're just as legitimate because they're exposing the truth that they believe, sounding that clarion call to humanity. It doesn't work that way unless you police yourself and have standards. In much the same way, and it's been a bone of contention throughout, but in much the same way, you have this issue inside of the church. And I got a call from somebody yesterday that said, oh, can you believe what's going on inside of the church? You've got priests that are now leading mass telling people to repent for their sin of white privilege. I said, man, I don't know anything about that. I haven't heard anything about it. And then lo and behold, I find the video. Now, the video is interesting that I think they're going to raise those social issues uh, because so oftentimes many social issues don't make the pulpit, are not expressed from the altar. So I find it interesting that some are and some aren't. And you would think that something that's costing people their life, like abortion or many other issues, would be paramount to the church instead of repenting for one's whiteness. But I think what this priest was trying to do, and again, not 100% verified where it happened. I have the audio. I have the video. The video claims that it comes from St. Xavier in New York City. Much of what the priest asks for is for people to be committed to living a life free of prejudice, free of bias against their brethren. And if you're a Christian and you follow the church, then yeah, that sounds right. But some of it, I think, goes over the top. And in a macro perspective, not a micro perspective, that 30,000-foot view, it's great to talk about these things, but it's not great to make it seem as if there's a huge problem going on. Now, while there is a problem going on, in my opinion, it's just not based on race. Cops aren't shooting people because they're black. All the data shows that there's more white people dying. If you look at the top 30 most dangerous cities for homicides, they're not all black. I mean, I'd say the majority are, but they're not all. There are white cities in Pennsylvania and other places that have a homicide problem just like Washington, D.C., like Baltimore. So in my opinion, no, it's not based on race. Again, I take it back to 
what your culture is, how you were raised, what your worldview is, all of those things. How much you know. It's about education. It's about your familial structure. What does your home life look like? Is there a dad in the house? That stuff has nothing to do with race. Just because one race may suffer from a societal plague, I'll call it, of fatherless homes more than another race, doesn't mean that it's because they're white or because they're Asian or because they're Hispanic or because they're black that somehow inherently prevents fathers from being in the home. No, it's not based on race, based on choices, choices that people make and choices that people perpetuate. Just like anybody who's listening to this who had a parent or a relative or a brother or anybody who was an addict, let's say, you have a choice. I'm going to be an addict like so-and-so, like mom, like dad, like my brother, like my cousin, like my sister, like whomever, or you're not. You learn from the people around you and you make choices. But be that as it may, we're talking about redefining. And I think the church has redefined a lot of its role. But I want you to hear this audio so you can decide for yourself. Listen to this. Do you affirm that white privilege is unfair and harmful to those who have it and to those who do not? Yes. Do you affirm that white privilege and the culture of white supremacy must be dismantled where it is present? Yes. Do you support racial equity, justice, and liberation for every person? Yes. Do you affirm the inherent worth and dignity of every person? Yes. Therefore, from this day forward, Will you strive to understand more deeply the injustice and suffering white privilege and white supremacy cause? Yes. Will you commit to help transform our church culture to one that is actively engaged in seeking racial justice and equity for all, for everyone? Yes. Will you make a greater effort to treat all people with the same respect you expect to receive? Yes. Will you commit to developing the courage to live your beliefs and values of racial justice and equality? Yes. Will you strive to eliminate racial prejudice from your thoughts and actions so that you can better promote the racial justice efforts of our church? Yes. Will you renew and honor this pledge daily knowing that our church and our community, our nation and our world will be better places because of our efforts? Yes. Again. I think what this priest was trying to do is for people to be committed to living a life free of prejudice, free of bias against their brethren. Now, I want to talk about something else about neighborhoods and how to destroy the system by using the system. And you've heard Mark Levin talk about this with respect to the suburbs and how some on the left have tried to infiltrate HUD or infiltrated HUD, better said, to rezone certain neighborhoods. But I'm going to share with you a different perspective on that that shows you it doesn't even have to go that far. Keep it locked right there. I'm Rich Valdez. You're listening to This Is America. This is America. Bienvenido, America. I am Rich Valdez, and we're still here 17 floors above Madison Square Garden. And you've heard Mark Levin and guests that he's had on his program raise the issue of the suburbs being taken over by the left, by multifamily dwellings, by relocating people from densely populated areas to less densely populated areas. And a lot of people thought that sounded far-fetched. But let me tell you right now, right here in New York City, in Manhattan, Midtown Manhattan, there are multiple hotels that have been taken over that have now literally become like housing projects. There's one right next to the T-Mobile store right across from the Dunkin' Donuts on 39th Street and 8th Avenue. It now has multiple rolling office chairs 
This is the new thing that the homeless do. They have these rolling office chairs. I guess they get them from the trash or they break into somewhere and they get them office chairs. And they just sit there all day and they sleep at night. They create a little cardboard home. They usually find a spot under scaffolding because of all places that I've been in America, some places have it, but nobody has as much scaffolding when they're doing a window repair or anything on the facade of a building. They create these massive scaffolds where everybody congregates to get away from the elements, get away from the sun. It's shady. It's dry if it's raining, all that. There's snow on the ground. There's no snow under the scaffold. So people find it. It's dark at night. So it's a great place to mug people. It's also a great place to get high if you're a junkie. Now, this is right next to the hotel. Now, what's interesting is the hotels, and we've talked about this on This Is America about two months ago, at the height of the coronavirus pandemic, they emptied out the shelters in the Bronx and other places and started taking hotel rooms on the city's dime. Taxpayer dollars were being used, are being used to house the homeless. Then you add in people that were getting let out of jail. Many of them went to transportation hubs like Penn Plaza, Penn Station, right beneath our building, Madison Square Garden, and just bumming it around here. And they can't. So they find their way where? They find their way to these city hotels that are now taking in people that are vacating Rikers Island, the jail. So you've got homeless people, which are homeless for a myriad of reasons. It doesn't make them inherently bad. But then you do have incarcerated individuals that are serving time, that are being let out for coronavirus. doesn't mean that they paid their debt to society and that they weren't found guilty and sentenced to jail. It just means that due to this quote-unquote public health crisis, let's put all the criminals on the street because that's genius in somebody's opinion. They won't get coronavirus in a hotel. They won't get coronavirus on the train. They won't get coronavirus in a shelter, but they will get it in the jail. I still haven't figured that one out, and that's because I think it's caca. Smells like caca, looks like caca. So I'm walking by, I think it's the Radisson, and there's a Holiday Inn Express, and there's a bunch of them. And I see, you know, a bunch of people sitting on the benches. These hotels have benches outside, I guess, for their guests to sit there and sightsee, which the hotels have figured out. These people are sitting there getting high and bringing their buddies, and they're getting into fights, and because, again, it's homeless turf territory. So now they've wrapped up. They use this, like, yellow, very thick, strong, sturdy plastic that construction people use to kind of cordon off and section off an area. Now they're using that. They wrap it around these benches and all of their really nice, you know, little gardens that they have, all of that's roped off with this yellow. It's not caution tape. It's like almost like a plastic chain link fence, like plastic chicken wire. And they wrap all of that so that people can't sit there because they want to eliminate people congregating there, even though they're still taking money from the city to house these people. Now, of course, like so many places where you have multiple people and you don't have the best hygiene, you have issues with rats, roaches, bed bugs. And lo and behold, as I was walking by, I saw the Orkin truck parked outside this place on more than one occasion. So it looks like the hotel is not probably going through routine fumigation because I walk this strip all the time and I've never seen them before. I think that there's an, an issue going on and it makes sense. Because these are things that you find in shelters, things that you find in jail. And now you're finding them at your local Radisson, your local Holiday Inn. And if I ruined an opportunity for Radisson and Holiday Inn to sponsor me, sorry. I just call them like I see them. What I'm seeing is disgusting. It's disgusting that the mayor allows this. It's disgusting that Albany is probably participating in this by sending money so that they can do these things. Now, of course, they're going to say we're trying to keep the hotels afloat. So it's okay to keep the hotels afloat, but it's bad to allow a restaurant to have occupants inside the restaurant. 
You can only have them outside. So if it's a rainy day, they're screwed. Everybody gets sent home. The staff doesn't get to make money. The business doesn't make money. And the patrons don't get to eat or have a drink. It's absolute insanity what's going on here in New York. And with so much of this undesirable element now living in the city, right here in Midtown, at hotels that you were paying top dollar for seven or eight months ago, it's no wonder that crime is on the rise on the Upper West Side. It's no wonder that it's spilling over into the Upper East Side. You know, yesterday, Trump uh, was quoted saying, what New York needs is a younger version of Rudy Giuliani. One of his most prescient comments yet. He's damn right. We need somebody that's going to stop the squeegee men. We need somebody that's going to be tough on the terrorists. We need somebody that's going to make New Yorkers feel safe and take pride in allowing New York to be the city that it was made to be, the city that it once was, and I'm hoping the city that it's going to be moving forward. But we can't do that in the situation that we've got right now. This is why I always ask people to get involved. Do what you got to do. I don't care if you become a digital activist, although I will say that I think digital activism is good, but it's definitely not enough. We need people to go out there. So everybody that's out there that's doing something, God bless you. Now, again, I'm not asking you to go shoot anybody. No, no, no. I'm asking you to be involved. And a lot of this, honestly, has to do with reading. A lot of it has to do with listening. And a little bit less with video. You know, it's funny. One day I will probably capitulate uh, to this and get onto YouTube a lot more actively. I constantly have plans to do it and I don't do it for this reason. The spoken word and the written word have an impact on your brain that video does not. And that's why they call video the boob tube. TV was known as the boob tube because it used less of your brain. And it was kind of easy to eliminate critical thinking. You added in all these elements where it eliminated you having to create in your mind's eye what you were hearing or reading. The television does that for you. And that's the part I don't like. Because too many people become emotional off a of video and they throw intellectual inquiry and critical thinking, a healthy dose of skepticism goes out the window. And that's not cool. So I implore you, read more, write more, listen to more radio, listen to more podcasts. They do affect you in a different way. It entertains the mind's eye as theater of the mind. And it makes things come alive in a different way. And I love video. Trust me, I do. And trust me, I'll probably get more aggressive with my YouTube stuff eventually. But I really implore you to do that, just as I implore you always to stand for something like Hamilton. Because if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And like Edmund Burke says, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. That's good people like you. So listen to something, read something, write something, gather people, educate them, inform them, inspire them. Hasta la próxima, America. I'm Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. 
Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade.